in some ways our world's been turned upside down, hasn't it, by COVID, but at least it's brought us to some of these new technologies which have allowed us to meet in ways that weren't previously possible. So lovely to be with you this evening, and I hope that the week has been progressing very well. You know, the subject of the Book of Life is a very intriguing one. It's a theme that we come across a number of times throughout the scriptural record. The actual English expression, the Book of Life, only occurs in the New Testament, but what we're going to find is that the concept of the Book of Life is there right through the Old Testament as well as the New. Now, the intriguing thing about this theme of the Book of Life is that it contains a list of people's names, particularly those who will be accepted by Christ at his return. So it's a list of the names of those who are saved. So, of course, the big question for us tonight is, is our name there? Is your name inscribed in the book of life? Is the answer perhaps different for unbaptized people from what it is for those who are baptized? What do we have to do to have our name found in the book of life? So our objective this evening is for us to reassess our lives in the light of the subject of the book of life, and particularly in the context of the near return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's understand right at the outset that the theme of the book of life is extremely important for us personally because it's, it's, it's very closely bound up with our future destiny. I'd like you to come with me back to the book of Malachi and chapter 3, an Old Testament passage that introduces this theme of this book. Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to pick up the record in verse 16. Malachi 3 verse 16, Then they that feared Yahweh spake often one to another, and Yahweh hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared Yahweh and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith Yahweh of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. So here we have the idea of this book of remembrance, and written in that book, are those who God notices, and he says that he will spare them because they will be his in the day when he makes up his jewels. The reverse of the same thing is made very clear in Revelation 20, verse 15, that's just been read for us. Whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So this tells us then that this theme of the book of life is a pretty important one for us. It's an essential aspect of our hope. So if we want to be immortal, if we want to be found in the kingdom after Christ's return, then we personally must be written in the book of life. And the purpose of this evening's study is for each one of us to be able to examine ourselves in relation to this book of life, and particularly in relation to the, the sacrifice of the Lamb. By the way, if we want to study this subject in more detail, there's a wonderful little section in Brother Thomas's work in Eureka. Uh, you'll find it in Volume 1 in the Letters to the Ecclesias uh, in the section on the Letter to the Ecclesia in Sardis. And that's a, a magnificent summary of this theme of the Book of Life. 
All right, well, this evening, perhaps the best place to start is to ask this little question, a rather strange question, perhaps. Whose book is it? Now, of course, we like to think, hey, this is a book about us. It's got a record of our names. It's, it, it, we're the ones who are found in this book and named in that book. But, you know, that's not actually the scriptural perspective on this book. In scripture, this book has a name. And actually, furthermore, this book belongs to somebody. I'd like you to come with me to Revelation 20. Uh, in fact, we won't turn it up. It's the one that was read for us this evening. And the reference is there to the book of life. What we find is that it's actually literally to the book of the life, the definite article. The word the has been inserted. So it's the book of the life. In fact, Young's literal translates it as the scroll of the life. That's intriguing. This little phrase, the book or the scroll of the life, occurs seven times in the book of Revelation, along with all the other sevens, the seven blessings, the seven vials, uh, the seven letters, and so forth. So the question for us this evening, well, what is the specific life, the book of the life that's being referred to here? Now, I'd like you to come with me to Revelation 21. It's another place where this theme of the book of the life occurs, and it tells us in Revelation 21 exactly whose book it is. Revelation 21, verse 27, speaking of the holy city, there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. The Diaglot translates that, the book of the life of the Lamb. Young's literal, the scroll of the life of the Lamb. We won't turn it up, but Revelation 13 adds another dimension to this. The title of the book of life is the book of the life of the slain Lamb. And we're going to consider that aspect of it a little bit later. So very clearly, this is a book of his life. It's not a book just about us. And so if we want to be found in the book of the life of the slain lamb, this is only going to happen if we're associated with his life, of his life, part of his life. Now that implies, doesn't it then, that those whose names are written in the book of life are actually those who associate themselves with the life of the Lamb, those who scripturally are defined as the called and chosen. So in today's context, perhaps those who enter into a covenant with God through baptism, it's our association with the life of the Lamb, which is relevant for participation in this book. Now that then leads us on to a rather astonishing thing. When do you think our names are written in the book of life? Are they perhaps written in the book at the point where we get baptized? And you know, the answer here may actually surprise you a little. But to find out the answer, we're going to have to go on a little bit of a journey. So I'm going to ask you to come back with me to Matthew chapter 25. Now, this is a parable told by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the parable of the sheep and the goats. Matthew chapter 25. Now, there's just one aspect we're going to look at. This is the parable of the sheep and the goats. 
uh, and it's an assessment on the basis of people's actions and deeds. And there are two very different outcomes for these two different classes of people. But there's one point that we want to note in particular, and that is what's said to those who are accepted. So let's read verse 34, Matthew 25, verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In what sense has the kingdom been prepared for us from the foundation of the world? Well, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, in chapter 1, verse 4, says that God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, that seems to imply a choosing that's happened a very long time ago. You may recall the words that were spoken to Moses. Uh, it was in the time when he was on Mount Sinai in Exodus 32. We're going to have a look at it a, a little later this evening. It's when Moses asked, Blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. And just note those words, thy book, which thou hast written. Because that implies that the book was already written in the days of Moses. So is that correct? When was this book written? Well, I'd like you to come with me now to Revelation chapter 17, where we're given a very explicit and very clear answer. Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17, and we're going to pick up the record in verse 8. Now, this is speaking of those who are not accepted, but see what it tells us and what the implications of it are. Revelation 17, verse 8. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition, they, shall want, they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of the life from the foundation of the world. Now that is a remarkable statement. This is talking about names being written in the book of the life from the foundation of the world. You know, the point is, brothers and sisters and young people, our names are already there. We can have them blotted out, but our names are already in the book of life. Because, you know, that is God's perspective on our salvation. He wants us to be saved. Think of the words of our Lord in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, sometimes we have this picture of eternal life as if we're trying to claw our way up a ladder towards salvation. But somehow we've got to keep climbing up this ladder until we get to the point where we've reached a high enough level to qualify. That we are now enough that somehow we've gone up on the righteousness lungs righteousness runs of this letter so that God grudgingly has to give us a place in the book of life. No, it's not like that. In God's abundant grace, our names are already there. 
Now, this, of course, doesn't mean that we don't have to strive. We do have to keep pushing on towards the finishing line. As the Apostle Paul says, we need to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. But it does mean that we're not trying to be good enough so that God has no option but to inscribe our names on that register. You see, the point of our effort, the reason that we're putting this effort in, is not so that we can attain to a state of righteousness, so that we're good enough somehow to qualify. Because, of course, we can't earn our salvation. The point of our effort is to endeavor to render faithful obedience so that God, in his grace, is able to accomplish and finish his work of salvation with us. And to that end, he starts the process with our name, yours and mine, in the book of life. So if God, in his foreknowledge, knows that you are going to accept Christ and to be baptized, then your name is already there. It doesn't mean that you're saved yet, but it does mean that you've been identified as one for the book of life. Now, if that's the case, then we want to do everything we can to make sure that our names stay there. So in that context, what does scripture mean when it talks about names being somehow blotted out of this book of life? Well, we need to realize that depending on our walk in life, our names can be blotted out of the book of life. I'd like you to come with me back to the book of Exodus, chapter 32. It's the section that we referred to before, uh, where Moses spoke of this book that had been written. Exodus 32, which is Moses up on Mount Sinai. The context of what we're going to look at is found uh, a little bit earlier in the book, in the chapter, Exodus 32. And let's just look at the context from verse 10. It's because of the transgressions of Israel. God says to Moses in Exodus 32, verse 10, Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, <coughs> excuse me, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. In fact, we find from a later record, Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 14, God said more than just these words. Because in Deuteronomy 9 verse 14, it records that God also said, let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. Now those awful words, they rang in Moses' ears. And he just couldn't get them out of his mind. He couldn't leave them hanging in the air, that terrible threat. So in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 31, he returns back up into the mountain, back up to Yahweh, and he pleads there on behalf of the children of Israel. And so Exodus 32 and verse 31, Moses returned unto Yahweh and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin. And have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. If not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And God then replies in verse 33, Yahweh said to Moses, 
whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. So this is God's definition of what causes people to be blotted out of that book. Those who sin against God. So this little incident here acts as a bit of a defining point for us. It describes for us what's involved and those who are blotted out. It's a bit of a warning on the subject for us all. So we need to keep in mind the exhortation that was spoken to the ecclesia at Sardis. In Revelation 3 verse 5, He that overcometh shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. So it's for those who overcome. Their names will be left in the book of life. So there's going to come a time when, in the words of the prophecy of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 10, that judgment is set and the books are opened. And at that point, a decision will be made about our own personal name. Will it stay in? Or will it be taken out? And in the words of Revelation 20, anyone whose name is not found written in the book will be cast out. In the words of our Lord, depart from me, I never knew you. There's actually a type of the theme, uh, actually. It's played out in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. I'd like you to come back with me to the book of Nehemiah and chapter 7. You see, this is the era when the captives returned back to the land. <clears throat> Nehemiah and chapter 7. The city was going to be rebuilt. And there's a whole group of people who have been called together now out of the captivity, and they've been brought back, including the priests, to this city, which is to be restored. In Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse 5, we're told that they, they found a register of the genealogies. My God puts into my heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people that they might be reckoned by genealogy and i found a register of the genealogy of them which came up at the first and i found written therein so he goes through this list of the genealogies then we find for example in verse 39 there's a list of those who are the priests and then it goes on in verse 43 and speaks about the, those in the list from the Levites. We find there's a description of the porters, the Nephinim, and then the singers. So here's a picture of all of those who are the remnant, the redeemed, those who have been restored to Jerusalem. And you have their list of names in this register. Now, as the process sort of went along, we then find that amongst all the others, among all the families of the priests, the children of Habiah come along. They too stand there in line, waiting for their turn to be found in the register. Now at last, it's their turn. Nehemiah asks for their name, Habiah. And he carefully looks it up in the register, and you can see him going through the list of names to find where their name is in the record. The family standing there really expectantly. They're waiting to be confirmed in the priesthood. And Nehemiah's carefully going through the scroll. Sorry, what did you say your name was again? Habiah. 
your name's not there. I can't find it anywhere. And you can imagine their consternation. Well, it must be. We're part of the clan. We're some of the scribes and the priests. Let me have a look. And Nehemiah's conclusion is, your name is not there. They are polluted. They need to be put out of the priesthood. Let's read verse 64. These, this is the family of Habai, the children of Habai from verse 63. These sought their, gene their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy. It was not found. Therefore, were they as polluted put from the priesthood? And the Tushatha said that they needed to be put aside until a priest would stand up with the Urim and the Thummim. But the little lesson that comes from this incident, brothers and sisters and young people, is that if we want to be part of that priesthood in the age to come, then our names too need to be recorded in the register or that genealogy. Now, at that point, this thing starts to broaden out in Scripture in a rather wonderful way. So, for example, the prophecy of Ezekiel puts it in Ezekiel 13, verse 9. This is the theme of being written in the writing of the house of Israel. Written in the writing of the house of Israel. In fact, the prophet Isaiah then enriches this theme, rather, in his fourth chapter. So let's go and have a look at the, the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 4. He picks up this theme of the writing of Israel, but now he narrows it down a little, and he introduces some, some rather fascinating little aspects. Isaiah chapter 4. And we read in Isaiah 4, and verse 3, and it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem. Now, do you see how he narrows the focus down there? He's now narrowing it down to the city of Jerusalem. And did you notice the little phrase he uses there? He speaks about being written among the living in Jerusalem. So for us, the question is, what does it mean to be written among the living in the city of Jerusalem? And that starts to lead us to a rather magnificent New Testament thing. I'd like you to come with me now to the book of Hebrews, because we find that this little passage in Isaiah is, 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 works as a springboard, as it were, to go to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to pick up the record in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews 12, the apostle is making a contrast between those under the law and those who are now in Christ. And he draws a contrast between those who were associated with the covenant of Mount Sinai and those who are now associated with the covenant of Zion. And he says in verse 22 of Hebrews 12, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and ecclesia of the firstborn, who are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men, righteous men, who are made perfect. 
And you can see the way in which this theme is linked now to the new city of Jerusalem, the heavenly city of Jerusalem, and names associated with the city which are written in heaven. Because the names of Israel incorporating the saints are inscribed on that new city. So, for example, we have the theme, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> we have the theme in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, speaking of the new city, Jerusalem. We're told that that city has 12 gates, and written on those gates are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And now as this theme starts to open up in Scripture, it's a rather beautiful theme, and we see this extraordinary linkage between two things. First of all, this theme of appearing in the book of life, and secondly, being part of that holy city, the New Jerusalem. So let me read you three passages and see if you can spot the linkage between the city and the book of life. So, Revelation 21, verse 27. Speaking of the holy city, there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Or Revelation 22, verse 19. If any man shall take away the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So we have this very strong connection between being in the book of life on one hand and being written in this holy city on another. And now I'm going to read you a little passage from the Psalms. This is from Psalm 87. Psalm 87 verse 5, And of Zion, it shall be said, this and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. Yahweh shall count when he writeth up the people that this man was born there. So clearly, to be written in the book of life is to have a part in the new city of Jerusalem. And the question for us this evening, brothers and sisters, young people, the question for us is the implicit challenge of Psalm 87. Are we born there? Is there something in our behavior, in our values, in our attitudes that says that we belong in that city, that we're citizens of Zion? Is it obvious that we don't belong to this world? And will we find our part in the book of life? Because that is the entry key to being in that glorious city. <clears throat> now, another question that always springs to mind when we consider this book is, what exactly is this book? Is it a, a literal book of some sort? Does God maybe have some enormous, great big library and there's a great big physical book sitting up in this library? Would it perhaps be leather bound? Will one of the angels carry it down to the judgment seat? What sort of paper might God use? Or would it perhaps be parchment? And you know, the very absurdity of these questions 
makes the point obvious, doesn't it? This idea of the book of life is not a literal book. It's a biblical symbol. It's a symbol that draws on the attributes of a book to convey ideas and concepts and also, for us, some moral lessons. Now, that point is emphasized by Brother Thomas in that wonderful little section of his in Eureka, uh, Volume 1, this is page 310, where the Brother Thomas writes, It is contrary to the law of symbol writing to regard this as a book in the vulgar or common sense. There is something in the real thing to which a book of record has some resemblance or analogy. So the question for us this evening is, what's being conveyed by the symbol of a book? Well, just remember that little passage again that we started with in Malachi, which speaks of a book of remembrance, a memorial. There's a hint here that this book is somehow associated with the memory of God. Now, that suggestion is enhanced by an intriguing little passage in the Gospel of John. We won't turn it up, but John chapter 5 and verse 28. That when Christ returns, we're told that all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Now, as we correctly explain to interested friends in our public addresses, this doesn't mean universal resurrection. It's not saying that all people in every grave will be raised. But the word that John uses for graves here is a rather special word. It's the Greek word memion. You may see there the origin of our English word memory. Memion, and it means literally a memorial grave, a grave of memory. So these are literally graves of memory where there is a memorial. So where's the memorial? Who's doing the remembering? And as Brother Thomas puts it, this is equivalent to inscribing the name of the subject in the day book of the life or placing him in God's remembrance for resurrection unto life. You see, it's a feature of the divine mind, of the spirit mind. It records it remembers, it inscribes indelibly. And that then leads us to a rather fascinating development on our theme. And that's the subject of what are sometimes called the day books. So I'd like you to come with me now to the chapter that was read for us by way of introduction this evening, to Revelation and chapter 20. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 20. Now, as we turn up Revelation chapter 20, just remember here that the context is the end of the millennium. It's the other end of the kingdom age, the thousand years of Christ's millennial kingdom. Actually, as an aside, it's interesting to find that the, the theme of the book of life is, is found in a number of contexts in scripture. We find it in relationship to the judgment seat at which we will appear. Uh, in relation to the judgment seat at the end of the millennium, the end of the kingdom, as here in Revelation chapter 20. The same theme is used in relation to the saving of Israel. And in passages such as Daniel chapter 7, 
this theme of the books is used in relation to the judging of the nations. So it's by looking at these various uses of the symbol of these books that we get a clear picture of how God assesses us and indeed of the process of judgment itself. So with that background, let's have a look now at what we've got here in Revelation and chapter 20. We're going to pick up the record in verse, well, in verse 11, we've got a great white throne and one sitting upon it. In verse 12, we read, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. <clears throat> you notice here that there are two books. In fact, scripture is very clear. It even makes the expression that there was another book. So let's read verse 12 again. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, which is the book of life. Sorry, the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So we can tell from the context here that one book is a record of works. It's sometimes referred to as the day book. And the other is the list of the names of the faithful, which is referred to here as the book of the life. Now, we've already met the book of the life. So let's turn our attention for a few moments to this idea of the day book or the record of works. <clears throat> By the way, did you notice the emphasis there in verses 12 and 13? Verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead which were in it, death and the grave delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. So what's the purpose of this book? Well, this is a record of people's works. It's written so that things can be remembered. All right, now what I'd like us to do is go back to Malachi chapter 3, that passage that we've already referred to a few times, and just see how Malachi chapter 3 picks up this idea. Malachi chapter 3. <clears throat> So Malachi 3, picking up the record again in verse 16. Then they that feared Yahweh spake often one to another. And Yahweh hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared Yahweh and that thought upon his name. So this book is described here as a book of remembrance. And God's writing in this book based upon his observation of people. So a book of remembrance is written for those who fear Yahweh. They've got a respect and a love for God. They think upon his name, which embodies his plan and his purpose. 
and they will be mine, saith Yahweh of hosts. These are the people who fear Yahweh and speak often one to another about this reverence that they have for God. And as a result, this book of remembrance is written. Now, the phrase book of remembrance is a really interesting little expression. The word remembrance there is the Hebrew word zikron, Z-I-K-R-O-W-N. And it literally means a memorial or a reminder. It actually comes from the root zakar, which means to call to mind or to recall. Now, this is a reference to the practice of kings. We won't turn this story up, but you may recall the days of Esther, Esther chapter 6 and verse 1, because kings used to keep a record of the various events and things that transpired in their kingdom. <clears throat> Perhaps the actions of faithful servants, big events, all sorts of things that happen in their kingdom. And we've got an example of that back in the book of Esther. We won't turn it up, but in Esther chapter 6, verse 1, you may recall the event. King Ahasuerus couldn't sleep one night. So he commanded, and they brought to him the book of the records. And in this book of the records, he read about the way in which Mordecai had been involved in saving his life. And that phrase, the book of records, in Esther chapter 6, verse 1, is the identical Hebrew expression to this book of remembrance in Malachi chapter 3. So the idea of a book of remembrance or a, a memorial is that it's a record of events, of actions, and of people's works. So what's that telling us? It's telling us that our lives are being recorded. The events of our lives, our thoughts, our actions, our words, are all being observed and they're being recorded for the day of judgment. There's a record being kept, brothers and sisters and young people, that faithfully records what we did yesterday and, in fact, every day last week. Now, that's a bit of a sobering thought, isn't it? You know, there are two potent little words in that passage in Malachi that we looked at just before. It didn't say a book was written for them that feared him. It actually says in Malachi 3 verse 16, and a book was written before him for them that feared him. Before him, panim, before his face, in his presence. Because the record of our life is being written under the watchful eyes of God. So Ecclesiastes 11 verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. It's a bit like our digital footprint. You know, the way in which everything which we do online is being recorded. Well, with God, it's even more explicit. It's not just the things that we watch on the screen. It's every thought in our head. It's every word that we speak. It's everything that we do, visible or invisible. It's all being recorded. So how happy are we with the events of our life to date? What's been recorded? 
against our name so far this year. If Christ was to return tonight, how would that book read? See, life and the truth is not complex. It's the simple little things of life that are recorded. What have we thought about or towards other people? Do we love God's word enough to make sure that we do our daily readings every day? How do we speak to other people about our beliefs and about our love for Christ? Our attendance at Bible class and the memorial meetings and youth groups. The way in which we teach our children and our family. Our own personal moral integrity. What have we been doing to help our brothers and sisters? Have we even noticed their need? Are our graciously concerned thoughts translated into actions of love and support? As we've gone through difficult times in the last six months, have we learned to trust in God? Or do we rage when things happen to us? Or perhaps ride an emotional roller coaster up and down trying to cope with life in our own strength? What are the things that we most look forward to in life? Where do we place our thoughts, our hopes, and our aspirations? What do we think about at night when we lie upon our bed? These are all the little things that combine to paint large and revealing pictures, the collage of our life. So what has been recorded against our name? You know, there's a certain inevitability about it, isn't it? All the events of our busy lives, they're just being recorded. So in the words of our Lord, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. You know, we're already more than halfway through this year. Quite possibly, it's the last year of our life. So this is our day of opportunity. If we want to affect the things that are recorded against our name, then now is our chance. Now's the time for setting our priorities and for purposing in our hearts to ensure that the things recorded against our name, are things that we would love to have recorded. Now, something that's very encouraging to note here is that the purpose of this book is not to condemn. So it's not as if the angels are snooping around trying to catch us out and keep a record of our failings, because this is not just a record of bad things. This is also a record of good, because this book is completely objective in a way in which we personally never can be when it comes to an assessment of our own personal lives. And the author of this particular book is remarkable because it doesn't just record events. It's a record of feelings, of hopes, of, of aspirations, of fears and tears. Remember those words of Malachi? I'm going to read them from Rotherham and I will deal tenderly with them as a man dealeth tenderly with his own son, who is serving him. I'd like you to come with me to a rather, a rather beautiful, a rather special little passage in Psalms, Psalm 56. 
And we're going to read it, first of all, from the authorised version, and then I'm going to read it for you from Rotherham's translation. Psalm 56. And just see what this tells us about God's personal observance of our life. Psalm 56, verse 8. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Rather than is that my wandering hast thou recorded. Put thou my tears in a bottle. Are they not in thy record? Now just think about what he's saying here. As pressures come upon us in life, as we wander at times in distress, bowed this way or that, the Father heeds. If we weep, the Father sees. And he, he puts out his hand, as it were, and he catches each little tear as it falls. He contains it and he records it. He misses nothing. Young people, as we read that description, just remember that we never walk alone. We belong to a, a magnificent and a loving God, and he understands everything that transpires in our personal lives. So then, at the end of our days, that day book is analysed, and depending on what's found written in it, our names will then be found in that other book, which is the Book of Life. Now, in conclusion, there's just one final aspect I'd like us to think about. In Revelation 13, verse 8, we find that this Book of Life is called the Book of the Life of the Slain Lamb. Why this expression, the slain lamb? Well, in the words of John, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Taking away sins. Now that's intriguing in the light of our talk this evening. This is the concept of sins being blotted out of the day book. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And isn't it rather appropriate that it's through the work of the slain lamb that our sins can be blotted out of the day book so that our names can be found written in the Lamb's book of life? And isn't it part of the wonderful poetry, the enigmatical style of scripture, that a book about a slain lamb is a book of life. We're in this book, brothers and sisters and young people, based on the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ purchased our redemption with his blood. That's why our names are in his book. That's why our names are found in the book of memorial. That's the rather wonderful work of our high priest. So brothers and sisters, young people, as we consider the goodness of God, as we contemplate the greatness of the work that the Lord Jesus Christ has achieved and accomplished for us, 
as we contemplate the day of judgment, when these books are going to be opened, let us take careful heed of what's being recorded against our name day by day, so that in the fullness of time, in the mercy of our God, our names will be found written in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you.